We want to welcome all of our listeners to the 15th episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with real operators and leaders in digital media. Today, we're hanging with Oleg Korenfeld, Global Chief Platform Officer at Wavemaker, a Group M agency. Let's jump in and get to know Oleg. Oleg, how you doing, buddy? Hey, guys. Uh, thank you for inviting me to this. Happy, happy to have you here. on. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Oleg, you know, for, for our listeners, um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Um, tell us a little bit about work and what you've got going on there. Sure. So um, as you mentioned, I work for Wavemaker. Wavemaker is a global agency. We're one of uh, four big global Group M agencies, uh, media agencies. Uh, my role is uh, to oversee platforms uh, for our entire operation. So uh, because we're so spread out, we're over 8,000 people. We're in many, many markets around the world. Different markets have different levels of maturity when it comes to advertising technology and the services that are required. And we have different clients in all these different markets. So uh, creating a global strategy that can land in those markets is kind of what I do uh, for my organization. Excellent. We'd love to get to know a little bit more about how you ended up there. But tell us a little bit about you know where, where you're from, where you were born, where you were raised, and a little bit about your background and your identity. Sure. So I was born in Russia. I was born in Siberia, actually. And um, in uh, 1989, my family decided to immigrate to the United States. Uh, back then, it was still very much a communist country, so it wasn't that easy to just get up and move. We were are, um, of Jewish descent, and um, that allowed us at the time to um, leave as refugees. Uh, leave the country and move to the United States. Um, the political climate in the United States was very welcoming at the time, specifically to the Rus Russian Jewish communities. And uh, my parents took this opportunity to uh, take their kids, little kids, me and my sister, out. And um, it took us about six, seven months to actually come to the United States. At the time, you couldn't just go directly. You had to wait in Europe for the United States to accept you legally, which we what we did. And then in 1990... Uh, we moved to the United States. Amazing. But that's really powerful when you think about your, your, your sort of path here. Tell us about your, your, your family and, and how that experience really sort of impacted you. Um, that's actually very interesting. So <laughs> my parents were younger than I am now when they picked me up and my sister uh, and decided to basically leave everything behind because at the time you couldn't take anything with you. Uh, that was the rule. Um, they had to give up their citizenship, give up their property, everything that they owned, and just a couple of suitcases with clothing and just leave the country. I'm sure uh, as a 12-year-old kid uh, that had an effect on me. But I think actually uh, uh, later on in my life as an adult, I started to realize, especially when I crossed that age, my parents were 36 when that made mm. that journey. I remember when I turned 36, uh, that definitely hit me. And kind of made me think about have I what have I ever achieved in life at that point uh, to measure up to what they had to go through to take me and my sister uh, and bring me here to offer me a better life. Tremendous. So I know you have kids because we're Facebook friends as well. So what do you take from your parents that they instilled in you, right? That you use in the workplace today that you're also instilling in your in your own kids. That's a tough one because um, it's hard for me to describe what we had to go through. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I want to do is to tell them these horror stories of me, you know, 
moving to this country, not speaking the language, uh, and um, trying to adjust, trying to assimilate. I'm sure as they get older, maybe I'll tell them more specifically about what that entailed. But mm -hmm. right now, I just want them to appreciate the work, appreciate that nothing comes easy. You know, that, that hopefully will inspire them. We're always interested, Oleg, in how um, folks ended up um, in our industry. Tell us a little bit about how you got started and uh, ultimately how you ended up where you're at now. Sure. Actually, how I got started is a fairly interesting story. I was in my sophomore year of college and I needed a job. And um, I was going to school in um, New York, actually, Baruch College. Uh, we're literally a few blocks away from my old college right now where we're sitting recording this. There was this opening. A friend of mine joined this company that nobody ever heard of called DoubleClick. It was 1998. Mm -hmm. And they were hiring people without any experience because nobody had any experience. And right. um, uh, I went in for an interview, and I remember vividly that interview because most of the conversation was about rock bands from the 80s. And there was one relevant question, and the question was about browsers. And the time, it was two primary browsers. It was uh, Internet Explorer, and there was Netscape. And the question was, which one did I prefer? Mm. And um, I knew at the time that, the, because I had a lot of geeky, geeky friends, and um, all of them preferred Netscape, so I said Netscape. And that got me the job. So that's how I got into DoubleClick. <laughs> right. um, and my first uh, job was phone support for Dart, which was the only product that they DoubleClick had at the time. It was the publisher-facing ad server. That's right. They didn't have DFA yet. Uh, that, came, right. that came later. Uh, but yeah, that's how I learned it. That's for all the OGs out there. Oh, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. They, they, we, don't, we don't even use those terms anymore. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's uh, by pure coincidence. Uh, I fell into this industry uh, just because I needed a job. And then very quickly, <clears throat> that became my full-time job. And I went to school part-time. Went to school at night, basically, while working at DoubleClick full-time. It's always interesting hearing about how folks sort of land and end up in, in this industry, but then end up sort of loving it, right? Tell us about like what you started to love about the industry, because clearly you're passionate and, and about you know the space. What is it that you love about the industry? Well, and the funny thing is, it's, what I love the most about it is because it's never the same. Every year mm -hmm. is something absolutely different. And even though this industry, as we call it, has been around, what, about 20 years or so, I think it's still fairly young if you, you, if you really think about it. Mm -hmm. um, what got me excited about it, because at first you have to understand, I was a 20-year-old, 20, 20 I just needed a job. Mm -hmm. So for me, I did not think of it as a career. I didn't think of it as anything more than just a paycheck. I remember what really, where it started to click was when there was a show called Sopranos. I'm sure everybody heard of it. Oh, yeah. And um, <laughs> I was a huge fan of the show. And I remember when it launched, I started a website, a Sopranos fan website. As a just a joke, and and it actually grew fairly quickly uh, to a point where I was having literally millions of visitors going to the site when the sh when the show was on the air, and uh, it developed into this huge um, property where I started to sell my own advertising on it, hmm. and understanding how to actually make money on the sites, kind of being on the other side of the industry, clicked for me, and all of a sudden. Rather than just being on the phone supporting somebody who is selling ads on their site, I realized what it actually means yeah. to be in this industry. So I think for me, that's what it when it clicked. When you think about six months, 12 months, 15 months, 24 months down the line, 
What excites you about the future of our of our industry? You know what? After 20 years, do you know that it, I think according to Adweek, 2019 is the first year where digital spend, ad spend, is taking over offline spend. Mm. Amazing. Us being digital guys, uh, yeah. this is exciting because yeah. we're now talking in hundreds, this is what, $130 billion just in U.S. digital industry right now. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, about 100 and $10 billion offline industry right now, which is moving into digital as well. All right. So for me, the exciting part is to see where the money lands and how do you take the spend and the knowledge of what's been done in TV, what's been done in just offline industry, mm-hmm. and where do you find the places for this money to land? So that's really interesting to me. Awesome. And and when you when you think about that, right, so one of the things that I think about, Eric thinks about, and... The reason why we have this podcast is sort of diverse opinions, perspectives, so on and so forth, right? So what do you think that we can do in our space to improve inclusivity in our space of more people with diverse backgrounds and makeups? And I let me preface that by saying that I think that I think we do an okay job in our space, but uh, obviously there's room to improve. Mm-hmm. So curious to get your thoughts. So I think there's a couple of ways to look at it. Uh, One, just from the standpoint of moving, not necessarily just moving around from one job to the next, Mm -hmm. but having a true hands-on experience on different sides of our industry. And I've experienced this first five and a half years ago where I actually decided to join the the buy side because, as I mentioned before, I started a double-click and then I spent 16 years primarily on ad tech Mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had some publishing experience, but for, for the most part of my 16 years, I spent working for ad tech companies, whether yeah. it was DoubleClick out of the gate, then I worked at Right Media early on, which was the f- first ad exchange. Um, worked at, at a mobile company called uh, JumpTap. At some point, I decided to move over to the other side of the fence, and that was a culture shock. And that helped me appreciate and understand what matters to the other side. Mm. And I felt like I was this outsider coming in which was, I think, very beneficial to me to understand it, but also to the people I was working with uh, to also appreciate how the other side thinks. So from that perspective, I think it's important to have that breadth of experience and kind of seeing, look, there's a buy side, there's a sell side, and then then there's a technology layer in the middle. And there's a very specific set of skill sets and understandings that applies to each one of them. But seeing how they all connect to one another and experience them from inside out is very valuable, I think, especially right now, with consolidation, with wall gardens, with everything else that's happening in our space, it's good mm-hmm. to see to have that perspective. So that's one. Mm-hmm. When we now talk about the actual people, and we talk about our backgrounds and our cultures, where we come from, that's a harder one for me. And mm-hmm. again, just seeing who I am and where do I come from, I, and I don't see still a lot of people from Russia in this side of the industry. I see a lot of them in engineering, for sure, yep. Yep. but I don't see a lot of them in what I do. And I wonder how much of it is cultural because my parents thought like I would be a lawyer or a doctor or accountant, like a real profession, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what they would consider a real profession. I think <laughs> even t- 
10 years ago, my parents still thought this was not a, a real yeah. career that I've, that I've, been, <laughs> that I've been on. Um, my parents I think still n- don't know what I do. Oh, yeah. They still don't <laughs> truly understand what I do. But at least at this point, they believe that this, this is not just a summer job. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sticking with this now. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's interesting, you know, thinking about how, um, you know, you're describing all like, you know, like the, the cultures and the, our families sort of having a, an idea of what could be a successful career and profession. Right, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, like of other backgrounds that could probably identify with that. So it's amazing. Absolutely, and again, being welcoming and, and appreciating the background. And when to me, the interview pro- process is mostly understanding who the person is. Mm. I think within five to ten minutes, I know what skills they have, right? And if they have appropriate skills, or not. And what, no matter what level I'm hiring at, I could be hiring, you know, senior vice president, or could be hiring just out of college, right? just entry-level position, within a few minutes, I can tell if they have the right skill sets. The rest of the conversation is about their perspective. And a lot of that is based on their culture and where they're coming from and how that diversity can help expand not only that person's success, but the rest of the team that they're joining. Gotcha. So when earlier on coming up in your career, did you ever face any discrimination that you can think of? And if so... How did you deal with it? Yeah, lucky enough, I don't think I have. And if I have, maybe I've missed it. <laughs> maybe because I've experienced so much of it as a kid. Mm. Being a Jewish person in Russia was an issue at the time, and that's one of the reasons why my parents got me uh, away from there. Yep. But also moving to the United States, again, as a 12-year-old kid without any language, moving into this Brooklyn inner-city school, kids are not nice at that age not having the language, um, I think developed some level of, guess, of tolerance. And um, I just maybe haven't, thought, haven't been as sensitive. Gotcha. Okay. So I know that you're married. I know that you have kids. I know that you like to spend a lot of time with your kids because we're Facebook friends. <laughs> Much so the question I want to ask you is around work-life balance. And is there a such thing as work-life balance? And if so, how do you, how do you kind of handle that? Or how do you approach it between your professional career and your, your, personal, your personal life? I'm sure whatever time I'm spending is not enough. But the way I think about it is I try to explain it to myself as quality, not quantity of time You're right. that is being spent. It may not be the most profound thing. But again, I always look back at my parents and they worked as long as I've known, mm. as, as long as I've had a conscious memory of them, right. they've always worked long, long, long hours. And they still do. And my parents still full-time working. That never, it all felt like they were far away from me. And I always felt like they were present in my life in some mm. way, shape, or form. So if I can create that, because with my job, I am traveling a ton. I, right. I spend half my, my life actually in Europe, not even in, New- not even in the United States these days. So, um, so we're lucky to get you in person right now then. Well, we'll, we'll plan for it. Yeah, we'll plan for this um, conversation. Um, so yeah, so for me, it's, it's, it's always uh, quality, not quantity. But even, even then, within that, you have to be present. And that's right. something that I guess we can always work on. Mm-hmm. So as a dad, you've, you feel like you've had to work on that over the years, just being present? I think so. Yeah. I think it's, it's hard to turn the brain off, mm-hmm. and, or not necessarily turn it off, it's to switch to a different frequency. Right. 
um, and and think about different things when you know something. I, I tend to take my work home with me in in my head, just who I am. Yeah, and right. uh, at this point, it's like I, I can't change that as, as my We're personality. We're all guilty. We're all guilty yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so for me, it's yeah, being mindful of that and and just reminding myself sometimes to just you know let go. That's all you know. As as you shared, you know, I, I think a lot of us sort of try to manage that to a certain degree and we'll either find a way to balance it or or say you know there's ways to incorporate it and you know sometimes we learn that from other people you know do you feel like you've had mentors in the space and do you sometimes feel like you try to mentor others i've definitely had mentors in in the space and the funny thing is about mentors mentor doesn't necessarily mean good it could also mean bad uh, but you learn from those mistakes, mm. Mm. Uh, or you learn from those experiences. Um, there's a couple of people that I know my go-tos. Anytime I would me have, let's say, a career crisis, I know who I call right away. Mm. And uh, these are the people who I've known for many, many years. Who some of them been my my managers, and some direct, some indirect, but became those those people who I trust, and I can uh, I consider them my my, my mentors. Uh, some I've had a lot of like probably a lot of us had really bad bosses in my life and really difficult people that I worked with, and I tried to see what what can I get out of that that I can apply elsewhere. So um, what is I, what is something yeah. from just thinking about a bad mentor? What is something you've learned there? <laughs> you ever heard of the seagull management concept? Yes. You fly in, you make a lot of noise. You shit on everyone and you fly out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, there's a lot of that that I've, try, I've, I've personally tried to avoid. And anytime I see that, I, I, I definitely notice that. For me, it's people who can not only roll up their sleeves and dig in, but people who actually care to understand what, what you do. Mm-hmm. So, Oleg, tell us how you mentor others in the space. Right. So, in... 20-something years that I've been, I've been doing this, um, feel like the best relationships that I've built are from people who I've surrounded myself mm. with. I remember back in college, I was minoring in marketing because at the time I, was already, I already knew that that sounds like the path I was going to take. We had this guest speaker, and he was some executive from some creative agency at the time. Uh, I didn't know them, um, but they were responsible for some really famous... Ads and what he said that re- and it resonated with me till till this day. And he always said, hire people around yourself who are smarter than you, and they'll elevate you. And I always felt that would be the right approach to n- not just mentorship, but just building the right relationships that that will will carry me forward from actual day to day work and the way I like to inspire and the way I like to teach, I guess. I would say I inspire by example. I love what I do. I want to understand to the deepest nuances of, of how this everything works. And it, I hope it shows. And um, the people who lean in the same way, mm. I tell them basically the same two things every time. One, be CEO of your own desk. And what does that mean? No matter what role you play, Pretend like you're in charge and you have to make all those decisions yourself because uh, that's the right role uh, to have in your head, I believe, to 
be brave. The second one is learn how to manage up, and that's probably even more yeah. valuable role. Uh, not even role, a more valuable um, idea. Because if you can convince your manager that, of your, that you have a, the right idea and that idea gets executed, that pushes you forward so much. So I would say the way I would like to inspire and motivate and mentor is through my own work, uh, but also through seeing people either naturally do these kind of things, being CEOs of their own desks and managing things up to me or to others or, uh, others in the organization, or realizing that that could be an effective way forward mm. and applying those things and seeing the results of them. Well, I, I definitely like the being a CEO of your own desk, and if you don't mind, I'm going to use that. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Oleg, how are you staying informed? You know, what, what do you read? Like, how are you staying sharp? Uh, we find, you know, a, a lot of this advice helps uh, a lot of our listeners. So how, how do you feel that you're staying, you know, you know, really informed and how you're, you're able to sort of stay on top of what's happening in the industry? The funny thing is I always feel like I'm behind. <laughs> Just because that's, that's the, our space. <laughs> right. The, the, not, o- not only the way the, the space is moving and, it could be maybe, you know, I spent a few months focusing on something in Europe and I come back and there's something happened, some acquisition or something happened in the States and kind of being on top of it. So I definitely read the industry rags, I guess, if we can call them. Ad Exchanger is, yep. is huge for me. Um, Media Post is not bad. Uh, it's a little more high level, but um, I think they have a good sense of the marketplace. Um, Ad Week, more for the buy side, mm. is um, important. But to me... The most important thing I can ever do is to keep ongoing conversations with people from around the industry. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why I speak on panels. There's a reason why I write articles. There is a reason why I do all those things. It's not just for me to get my ideas out there, it's to get the feedback. Right. And um, I spend a lot of my time actually meeting with um, companies and technologies and, and publishers just to understand how they think about it, because for me it's this kind of jigsaw puzzle and I want to try to see how they fit in the broader picture. And that's probably one of the main reasons why I joined actually the buy side, because you have to think about it. after 16 years of being on technology side and some sell side, I decided to join the buy side. And one of the main drivers for me was to see the broadest, our industry in the most broadest sense possible. Mm. Mm. Uh, and I feel like I've, I've, I've been able to get a lot of that. So that's the way I educate myself. I talk a lot. I talk to a lot of people. I try to talk to a lot of people. So you've been in the space for a while. Obviously, you've had a great career path and still growing. I'm sure there's more you want to do. But for anyone coming into the space, right, what advice would you give to that individual? What advice would you give to Oleg coming into the space 16 years ago? Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> raise your voice. Not in the sense of because you know we tend to blame millennials for mm-hmm. asking for too much, which is like I think back when I was a kid, I probably was the same way. But definitely read, listen, and try to talk to as many people as possible. And not just don't try to fall into just what you are comfortable with. Go outside of your comfort zone. If you're on a buy side, meet with a lot of sellers. Meet with a lot of technolo- technologies. If you're on a if you're on a tech side. Try to find ways to talk to buyers mm. uh, as much as possible. I think that would be my recommendation at any level, but especially when you're just starting out, when you're trying to understand 
the industry you're in because it would, would have been great when, when I was just starting out to understand how my work fit into a bigger picture. Yeah. Because you kind of always feel like that picture, you know, you, you, you sit behind this big wall, you keep pushing that button, but you don't know what that button do, does. Right, right, right. If, you can, if only that wall becomes clear and you yeah. can see the domino effect of you pushing that button. So Amazing. I think anybody who truly cares about not just their job, but the industry they're in, you want to be curious how what you do affects the rest of the space. Right. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So a little uh, fun question I love to ask. So give me three apps on your phone outside of email and your calendar that you consistently use. All right. So, and I've heard other people say this on, <laughs> on your, on your podcast, but I'll use the same line. Let, I'll take the social apps out of this because mm-hmm. communication with my global travels, all the WhatsApps and yeah. Hangouts and all that other stuff, I'll put that to right. the side. Yeah. Give me uh, something interesting, right. something I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you have it or not. The, the, I would say the three probably busiest apps on my phone are Audible. Okay. I drive a lot. Okay. So yeah. I tend to listen to books these days. I wish, I wish, again, when I fly, I read, but when I drive, I listen. Yep. The second one is actually podcasting. Mm. That fills up my time in the car. Um, there's a ton of podcasts that I love. They're ready for me uh, whenever I ter- get into my car. The third one I would say is probably Google Keep. Uh, it's probably for Google uh, for Android users, not for uh, iPhone users. I don't know if it's available for iPhones, but basically it's a simpler version of Evernote. Okay. Just a simpler version okay. of that. Yep. Um, and it's just Evernote is so bloated in my in my opinion at this point. But <laughs> Keep is just simple and it it does what it need, what I needed to do. Well, Oleg, thanks so much for making some time in your calendar to be with us. We know you're jet-setting. You're not always here. You're all over the globe, and we're grateful that you shared some time with us. Thanks for being a listener. Thanks for being a supporter. And uh, for all you listeners out there, please share the episodes. And also, you can find us in a number of places, Spotify, Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, Twitter. Look for Minority Report Podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Oleg. Thank you. Thank you.